0: Hello everyone, this week in New Narrative, we've got an episode of our Southeast Asia Dispatches podcast on how activism and protests are being carried out in Malaysia amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. We've also got a really interesting article on how the pandemic is affecting the death rituals or adat of the Batak people in Northern Sumatra. Do check them out at newnarrative.com and if you like our work, please do join at newnarrative.com join or donate at newnarrative.com/donate. In today's episode, the measure of a society is how we treat the least among us. And by least, we mean the most marginalized and the most vulnerable. And that includes prisoners, precisely because we often feel the fewest qualms about mistreating them. It's easy to tell ourselves that prisoners deserve mistreatment. But justice cannot be served through delivering injustice. And a convicted prisoner may be deprived of their liberty for retributive and rehabilitative purposes, but that does not mean they are deprived of their other human rights. And more broadly speaking, humanity cannot be developed by treating people in an inhumane way. Who a society really is, what a society really is, is often reflected in how its prisoners are treated. So who are we, the people of Singapore? Are we a merciful society which treats people with dignity and respect, or a vengeful society which treats people in a harsh and dehumanizing way? The problem is, in Singapore, like most things, we don't know like most things associated with the People's Action Party government, information about our prisons and the conditions in them are simply not available to the public. So I'm really glad that Jollovin Wam joined us this week to talk about his experience in jail. Jolavan's been jailed twice now by the Singapore government for first defending freedom of speech, and second for civil disobedience. And his first hand experience has made him really aware of very problematic conditions in our jails. And now he's doing research and raising awareness of these problems. So hello, and welcome back to Political Agenda and welcome back to our show, Jolovan Wong. Yes, hello, thanks for having me. Welcome back, Jolovan. And uh, so you're just fresh out of prison. Uh-huh, that's right. I was released last week. Wow, and you were in there for what? Um, ten, yeah, days? 10 days. Good golly. And how did you tell us how did you end up
1: in prison? Okay, um, I was convicted of an offense under the Public Order Act. Mm-hmm. What I had done was to organize a public talk uh, which featured the democracy activist from Hong Kong, Joshua Wong. So, because I didn't apply for a permit, so I was convicted of an offence uh, this was when this was in 2016 right yeah so it took four years for the entire case to conclude Yeah, because I upon conviction at the state courts I also appealed to the high court and to the final court of appeal yeah so so after all that the verdict was still that I was guilty
0: well I think w- you know we understand that based on the letter of the law of course as uh, I've discussed on the show with PJ Thumb that these laws are extremely broad so that um, any political behavior by Singaporeans can technically fall under the Public Order Act, right? And we've seen that with uh, Silan and, you know, just walking down the street and he got uh, arrested and jailed for an illegal public procession. And of course, yourself, you're wearing a shirt. Can everyone see the shirt? Um, where all you did was hold up a sign of a smiley face and somehow that is also breaking the Public Order Act. So I I don't think we need to get into a lot of detail with that. But what really startles me is that living in this day and age of COVID-19, where everyone is having a foreigner come in uh, and... Um, having webinars with foreigners and people in Singapore routinely attending webinars with foreigners speaking on very sensitive subjects like uh, you know our economy, labor, um, and how you run your businesses, your mental health, your you know all a huge wide range of subjects. Somehow all of that is okay, but what you did is still illegal you don't you, you don't think that did, did your lawyer in court like in the final appeal make this point at all um, no because I, he stuck
1: to pretty um, legal and technical arguments yeah mm-hmm. but I mean the reason I'm targeted is because I'm an activist and because I'm very vocal and because I'm involved in you know organizing um, um, people and events um, encouraging people to question the status quo and to be critical so I think when you're involved in these kinds of activities, you are on uh, the government's blacklist. Mm -hmm. So, and I believe the government persecuted me as a kind of, as a warning to everyone else not to engage in this kind of activity. But what I'll say is that, um, I mean, despite the persecution, I generally don't think the cost is that high, yeah, because these convictions often just result in a fine. Yeah, so when I went to prison, it was more, as a protest against the injustice of the law. Yeah, so I could have easily paid up the fine. And I've done research on people who've been convicted of Public Order Act offences, and nobody has actually been sentenced to jail, yeah, no matter how many times they have been convicted of the Public Order Act. Oh, really? Yes, that's right. So like, if you talk about like Chi Sun juan for instance, right? Mm-hmm. So people keep have this idea that he, 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 he goes to jail a lot and he's been sentenced to jail, but actually that's not true. Yeah, um, All his convictions have been fines, but he chose to go into jail um, as a protest. The same with Seelan Pale as well. He was actually convicted. Um, with, I think the fine was $2,500. Yeah, and he chose to go to jail. Yeah, so that was part of his, his activism. So, so I'm just following the footsteps of people who have come uh, before me.
0: Okay, so that's really interesting to note actually that there are uh, there seem to be limits uh, obviously these are not um, you know limits in the in in the law in the statutes, mm. but what the courts will do is only impose a fine, and these fines tend to be in the order of a couple of thousand. that's right yeah mm. that's very so I think the
1: Singapore government's thinking on this is that they they want to do just enough to scare everyone, but not too much to make you a martyr, you know, so to speak. So then you don't become like a prisoner of conscience. Mm, yeah. So there's yes. any decision that any activist, any decision that an activist makes, whether to go to jail or not, will be a very personal one, you know, whether you want to make a political point out of it.
0: Right. And then I suppose if, if it becomes uh, an international issue, the government can say, hey, you know, we didn't send them to jail he's going to jail, he or she, they are going to jail because they're refusing to pay a fine, not because of the Public Order Act. Yes, yeah, Yeah, that's right. Hmm, very interesting. So I suppose then, um, what people don't actually need to be that afraid of the Public Order Act, given that it is usually, or as you pointed out, uh, it always has only been a fine on the order of a couple of thousand, which in theory, could be uh, crowdfunded or something. But then there's other costs, right? What about your legal fees or your time? You said it's taken four years of your time plus uh, your lawyers, you fought Mm. it at multiple levels? Yeah, so it depends on how far you want to go with it. Mm. So it took four years
1: because I wanted to claim trial at every stage of the process. But but if you choose to plead guilty um, when they charge you, it can be over in a matter of, days even yeah so it's really what you
0: want to do with the case yeah and um, was was there significant court costs because I assume like uh, there's, there's there's two different costs right there's the court costs and there's the lawyers fees right yeah so
1: lawyers fees would be the one that might be a bit tricky but um, I'm sure there are quite a number of lawyers out there who are willing to take on these kinds of cases pro bono yeah because it would be in the public interest uh, to take on these cases, so i I think lawyers lawyer fees would be would shouldn't be a hurdle yeah um, and also there won't be any court costs because the government is the one that's charging you, yeah so it's not like a civil suit you oh, know, right. where you have to pay the other side if you lose, yeah because it's, in this case, the government is charging you of an offense. It's like any other offense that the government charges you for, whether it's theft, cheating,
0: yeah. Oh okay okay, oh okay. So really, the apart from the the final fine, the only real cost to you was just a lot of time fighting this case. Four years, you said. Yes, that's right. But even so, because I have a
1: very good team of lawyers who do all the research for me. Yeah. So so I so the only thing I need to do is basically turn up in court, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and life for me goes on. I mean, my my work still continues. I still. I still get to travel, though, of course, that is restricted um, because the government has my passport. But they have never denied me my passport whenever I asked for it. Right. Yeah, right. So they allow me to travel. Yeah, and they don't yes. see me as a flight risk yeah, yes. because I'm, I'm not interested in claiming refugee status elsewhere or fleeing the country. Yeah, I mean, I'm doing mm. this very purposefully and yeah. very consciously, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think based on what the government has done before, they would be happy if you fled and never returned, right? Because then you'd be, you know, they could say, oh, this person, see, they're, they're disloyal. They're, they're the first chance, of, uh, you know, the first sign of trouble, they flee and they're not uh, here to, they don't stand up for their beliefs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, which yeah. is the kind of line they've done on a lot of other political detainees, uh, in the past, uh, who have fled, but of course, um, people like Wapia or Francisia actually faced serious consequences for what they did. And uh, in the 70s and 80s, mm. um, you know, when we would routinely torture people in who were held under the ISA, but um, not not today, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think the likelihood of that happening is very, very, very low. Yeah, in this day and age. I mean, I will not discount it entirely because we are still living in an authoritarian state so anything mm. can happen. Yeah, but yeah. I believe the political costs would be too high for the government.
0: Right, right. And I suppose there's also like marginal things that are hard to say that meet the definition of torture but can be, you know, like putting someone in a room with extremely cold air conditioning, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and given that we we'd probably be dressed in dressed for the tropical weather, mm. right? Leaving someone in a really, really cold room for a couple of hours and until, you know, you, you go in and ask them questions. Right. Um, that technically meets the definition of torture. Yes, it does. And
1: I have no doubt yeah. that they still do this, actually. Right. But they won't do it with um, Singaporeans or people whom are more empowered. Yeah. I mean, more, about 10 years ago, I heard of a... Uh, a Sri Lankan who was a victim of sex trafficking. And, and, the poli- and she told the embassy that the police put her in a cold room and assaulted her um, mm. to force her to give the name of the person who, who trafficked her. Yeah. And she said oh. that she was in tears. Yeah. So, but these kinds of tactics are possible to do on disempowered, marginalized populations right. because they are so scared they will not want to speak up. And over the years, I've heard stories from other migrant workers who have alleged um, physical assault from um, police officers. Yeah. So, but many of them are just afraid to file any official complaints or to do anything for fear of retaliation.
0: Hmm. So I guess for Singaporeans, uh, and, and well, I don't know what here, but for Singaporeans where um, we can be more assured, and especially for someone uh, who is trying to make a political statement, right? Because in in any other country, what you did wouldn't be considered a crime. Uh, and indeed, I mean, in Singapore, what you did today—if you did it today—I don't think it'd, it'd be considered a crime. Um, but we always we do have to, th- you know, keep in mind the that there are plenty of people who don't have uh, full citizenship rights in Singapore. I suppose that's a that's a whole separate conversation. Um, So before we go on, uh, let's just let's clarify, because I think there's a lot of confusion out there as well, based on what I've seen that uh, what exactly happened at this meeting. So it was um, a closed door meeting with Joshua Wong Skyping in and a few other speakers, including yourself. Um, No, I wasn't
1: the speaker. I was actually the facilitator of the event. So um, there were two other speakers. One was Kirsten Han, and the other was Silan Pale. Right. Yeah. So um, the topic was on civil disobedience and activism and democracy. Um, so we. So this was where Joshua Mong came in to talk about his experiences um, being involved in civil disobedience activities in Hong Kong. So the entire conversation, the tone and tenor of the conversation was very was very even yeah uh it was very moderate actually, and um the discussion was actually quite i would say it was quite a quiet discussion yeah so it wasn't anything which met the objectives of why the public order act needed to be used to to control this event yeah because if you look at the objectives of the public order act it's actually to prevent public disorder yeah so i mean emotions weren't running high at this event mm. um nobody was gesticulating or raising their arms and their fists yeah so it was it was a very like rational and calm discussion yeah so that's why the decision to charge me was entirely misplaced yeah and of course politically motivated so um, yeah so the event was attended by slightly over 50 people I think yeah so so it wasn't really anything that um, attracted a lot of attention also yeah Right. And it was a public event though in that okay. um the public was invited to attend. Yeah, but they had to RSVP so that we could control the crowd size and because the venue that we were using was was the agora and it was a very mm-hmm. it's a small venue, right? Yes. You can't
0: really take more than 50 to 60 people in that space. So um when the government charged you specifically as facilitator or or organizer. Yes. Um what grounds did they give specifically for you know charging you?
1: that I didn't apply for a permit for cause related event right. that was open to the public
0: so it's it's not that the event was in any way dangerous or wrong, or what you were discussing was dangerous or wrong or anything to do with the content or anything to do really with um, any sort of intention the The charge was purely. Sort of technical, you didn't yeah. apply for a permit. Yes, for something that was cost-related and public. And of course,
1: anything can be cost-related, Yes, yes right? Yeah. Collecting coins is also a cause, right? Yeah. I can, <laughs> If I encourage people to do that, it's a cause. Yeah. So, so like you said, right, the laws are deliberately worded very
0: broadly and vaguely so that they can pick and choose how they want to apply it. Okay, and at no point, I mean, throughout the trial, that's what the government emphasized, that you didn't apply for a permit. Did they actually bring up anything to do with your intentions or what would a consequence of the of the you know of the gathering, like they would did they imply that or say outright that it would cause um, disorder? No, nothing of that nature was
1: talked about. The entire trial was run on technicalities. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the That's technicalities so that I had breached. Right. Yes. And the judges also insisted that um, we, that I had the constitutional right to free speech and free assembly, but because the, the constitution also constrains my right um, if there are public order concerns, so yeah. that's why I was guilty. Though they never explained why what I did was a public order threat, and I don't think they wanted to go there as well, yeah, because that would mean that their arguments wouldn't make sense.
0: Yeah. And, and so your defense focused on your... Well, what did your defense focus on? Well, we talked about the nature of the event
1: and also that it wasn't a public or the threat. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this was talked about um, in the state and the high court. But at the court of appeal, um, a very technical question was, was being posed to the judges, which was that um, if, even if I had applied for a permit, um, nothing can stop... An unreasonable government official from from granting me that permit even if I had grounds. Because the law does not um, empower um, the judiciary to instruct the commissioner or minister to give me a permit um, if it was found that my reasons for applying were reasonable. So so it was on a very technical Mm. question that the Court of Appeal was, was addressing.
0: Yeah, and I think coming back to the broader pattern, this is what we've seen in a lot of different laws where uh, things aren't outright banned, but you just need to apply for a permit. But the ability to get a permit is extremely constrained, and the people who make the decision have a huge amount of arbitrary power whether to give it...
1: That's right. Yeah. And to give an example, um, Rachel Tseng, who was the co-organizer of this um, event that I was convicted for, a couple of years ago, she applied for a one-woman procession on International Women's Day, mm-hmm. yeah, and she was denied that permit. And this is a one, a one person, one person walking, you know, for mm. I think 500 meters or something, and it was denied. And I have also personally made applications to hold placards at different parts of Singapore in, like, at 7 a.m. for only five minutes. <laughs> And, and the permits for these applications were also not granted. Yeah. So what kind of public order threat could there possibly be f- for me holding up a sign at seven in the morning for five minutes in Ulu part of Singapore, mm. right? So, yeah. so clearly it is not about whether the event will cause public disorder. Yeah, it's about whether they like you, yeah, whether they think you are an appropriate person to be granted this permit. Well, flip it around. Who has been granted permits? Do you, do you know? Yes, um, I ha- um, a couple of years ago. I think when the, the Penguin Gate incident happened, uh-huh. uh, when the National Library wanted to pulp the gay Penguin right. storybook, yeah. um, um, Jolene, who is uh, an, an activist, she applied for a permit. Yeah, and she got it. Okay. Yeah, and um, about ten years ago, NTUC, but of course NTUC would get it. Right. Yeah, NTUC also applied for. Uh, a procession involving, I think, hundreds of people, yeah, f- mm. to commemorate World Consumer Day, they got the permit, yeah. So, so they, so they pick and choose and decide who they think is worthy of the permit, yeah, without any objective or standard criteria, yeah. And and this is something that needs to be challenged, right?
0: Right, right. And so, can I ask about the? Uh, I know there are all sorts of laws constraining this, but you, you, you're still in. Um, in court for a whole bunch of other charges at this point in time, plus you're under investigation for the the smiley face incident. Yes, yes. And the status of all of those is still up in the air. It's still up in the air, yes. Right. But, but we can't really talk about that because of the, was it Protection of Justice Administration Act and other laws. Right, right, yeah. 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 Where yet another law making it very difficult <laughs> to have, <laughs> you know, any sort of, uh, proper political discourse in Singapore. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, but we just, just to point out, where, with this one, the smiley face one, um, you just went to that point in support of the climate strikers, That's held right. up a sign and then uh, took a photo and left. That's right. And then you got a letter from the police saying you were... Contravening was it? You had broken yes, the public order. Yes, act?
1: That I, yeah, that I had possibly broken the public order act. Huh. Yeah, because after I took the photo and I posted it on my socials, saying that um, I, I was doing this in support of the climate strikers who were being investigated. So I think because I said I was doing in support of them, so that's why they said I had violated the public order act. Yeah, because. Any mm. kind of support can be interpreted as cause related. Cause related. yeah. So anything
0: yes. that's cause related requires a permit, right? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, but how does it? How you know? In, in materially, it is no different from the millions of selfies and photographs being taken anywhere in Singapore at mm-hmm. any point in time. Mm-hmm. But just because it's 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 you really, and because it's in support of um an issue which i think everyone from the prime minister down has agreed right climate the climate crisis has agreed it's really important and yet somehow you're getting this let- letter and having being investigated and mm. you you had to go to, to the uh police, police station. station and
1: my they they took my phone <sighs> yeah but i i knew they were going to take my phone so yeah. then when i So that's why the phone that I, so that's why whenever I I get involved in activism and I get involved in these kinds of activities, I will use a phone, which I don't mind losing. Yeah. 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 So then my actual phone and my work stuff doesn't get affected.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm. This is something that uh, I think um, a lot of activists have become very accustomed to having a, (laughs) getting a sort of burner phone to show up at the police station (laughs) with so that when they demand your phone, you just hand it over. Yep. That's right. Yeah. But at this point, they haven't given Rachel back her laptop, right? This is the laptop that was used in the in the
1: in the Skype event, yeah. Because we skyped Joshua Wong in through that laptop, so they haven't returned it, yeah. But she was aware of the fact that it was that they might take it away, so she used the laptop that you know that she didn't really want to, that she doesn't
0: use on on, on a daily basis. It's expensive being an activist. Right, (laughs) got to get backup (laughs) laptop, backup phone. Uh, I don't know if Solang has gotten her stuff back from the raid in 2015 after the election where they took her phone and her laptop yeah, she and, and did. I think she,
1: did? Um, I think she also managed to get them to pay her some really? amount. Okay. Because, because was I think they broken. spoiled it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: Good for her. Yeah, she took a very firm stand because I remember they just want to give it back to her broken and she right. was like, I'm not right. taking it back until you compensate me and yes. admit it's, you broke it. Yeah. Yes,
1: that's right. So, so that's great because I think it's important not to be coward yeah. uh, and, to, and, yeah. to, and to be bullied. Yeah. Yeah. So even if they persecute you, it's important to take a stand and to assert your rights. Yeah. Because and of
0: course I think Terry has gone through so many computers. Every time TOC is raided, he's lost another computer. But like you say, right, he's taken a stand and he's also mm. contested all of these charges and Yes, uh, that's yeah.
1: right. And and it's important to have the community also support you. Yeah. So mm. if you need another laptop, you need another computer, you know, somebody gives it to you. Yeah, because they believe in what you do and they believe in your work. Yeah. So so while we take these kinds of risky actions, but we also have um, support behind us, a community who believes in what we do, and I think that's very important yeah, in order to, uh,
0: for your work to be sustainable and to survive. Yeah. You know this was one of the things that I, I, a point I've been making that actually I think it's far safer to be extremely public with what you do uh, and your activism than to be tend to do it on the down low and the quiet because if you get a lot of attention, right the political cost, for the PAP government is higher if they want to persecute you, if they want to oppress you, harass you, um, because you're you're more well known and a lot of other people will then immediately say, hey, this person, you know, is, is being harassed and, mm. and, and whereas if, if you do it on the down low in the hopes of not getting attention, if you do get in trouble, no one knows. Yes. Right? Yes, that's And then fine. the support, community support, uh you know, one of the things that that amazes me about Kirsten is that she shows up at the police station when people uh, are being um, questioned for you know all these uh, political activism, and even if she doesn't know the person, mm. she'll show up there to support them mm. and to let them know they're not alone, which is amazing. Mm. I mean, well, she's an amazing person. Milner. Yeah, but um, you know, the, but she can't do that if she doesn't know that you're there. Yes. Right, and then of course the community being willing to help you get equipment or, um, you know, just help you learn about the ways in which we protect ourselves, such as getting the second phone or second laptop, mm. or the kind of uh, things to prepare, right? Uh, contingency plans, right? All of that comes through the community and learning from each other. But again, if you don't uh, make yourself known that you're doing this then the community can't support you.
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah. And um, and I think like what Kirsten and what several other people do when they um, go to the police station it is to say that um, this is not we're we're doing this because human rights are inalienable right yeah. it's not just about because you are my friend because i know you or you're a good person yeah yeah, yeah. right so yeah. so anyone regardless of who they are should not have to suffer this kind of injustice they should not have to be investigated by the police for something as minor as that yeah mm-hmm. so i think when there's this is show of support this public show of support i think it also sends a very strong signal to the police officer who is doing the investigation that, you know, we are watching them, mm. we are monitoring them. And even though they will still go ahead with the investigation and the persecution, I think it's still important that to do this, yeah, because um, those in power need to know that they are
0: being watched by the people. Right, well said. Okay, so let's talk now about you actually going to prison. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that like? I think for most people we have, you know, it's very scary and fearsome so mm. what was the experience? And it's your second time, right? Yeah, it's my second time. Um, I, I should preface
1: it by saying that I didn't get a very long sentence. Mm-hmm. So that's why whatever feelings I have about it, um, uh, I, I, I can't say it's representative. Um, but um, because I, each time I went in, my sentence was always the shortest among everyone that I shared the cell with. Yeah, so for the first time, it was seven days. Uh, and, and this time around, it was for 10 days. And yeah, prison is just basically very boring. <laughs> it's just very boring. You just have so much time and nothing to do. Yeah. So, but how I survive it is read a lot of books. So I've never done so much reading in my life. Yeah, so if you want to catch up on your reading, go to prison. That <laughs> actually sounds fun to me. So I read like three novels yeah and they and they average like five to six hundred pages, wow, yeah okay, so I finished in ten it, days yeah, in ten days um and it also helps to be i mean if you enjoy chatting and and and, and talking to people, which I do right yeah because I enjoy hearing stories right yeah. I enjoy reading stories, I enjoy hearing stories, so I have very good conversations with my cellmates. okay yeah so um so so it helps to be curious about people's lives and and to find out about the history. And I, I was in a cell with someone who had lived through the Cultural Revolution.
0: Oh, Yeah. Wow. So
1: and and yeah, this is a Chinese national. So I spoke to him a lot about that. Right. Yeah. And I and I learned about his motivations. Why did he come to Singapore? What are his experiences like? And he, he was a migrant worker. He worked in, yeah. in, 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 a, in in a restaurant and and he shared a lot about you know, his experiences of exploitation and, and all that. So yeah, so so I enjoyed that conversation with him, and then the other person that I that was in the cell with me was someone who had committed a sexual offence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, so, so I listened to his story. I heard a lot about his life, and yeah, so so you actually kind of in some ways um develop a bond yeah mm-hmm. with 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 the people that you share the cell with, and these are people whom I ordinarily wouldn't know in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so that kind of moment, I th- so so these kinds of conversations, I think are in some ways quite precious to me, yeah. So I, I, I do um, cherish them. Um, and yeah, and to, and to quell the bottom, I mean, what you do is you need to create a routine for yourself, right? right? So, uh, so, so, you, so I did a lot of stretching exercises, I chit-chatted a lot, I read a lot, yeah. And so a lot of my routine was just focused on these three things. Yeah. So once and and I showered a lot also <laughs> because okay. there there really isn't much to do and and the cell can also get a bit warm sometimes because you are not given a, a fan. So each time you feel warm, you just like strip and go to to the shower area behind and just have a shower. Yeah, I think I must have showered like ten times a day <laughs> 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 because there's nothing else to do. Okay, yeah, but you just need to um, psych yourself up for it, right? Just keep doing stuff. Um, no matter how little things there are to do, but just keep doing them. And before you know it, yeah, time flies and it's time for you to be released. Yeah, What's difficult though, I think uh, there was the first few nights because you are not given a bed or a mattress, right? So Singapore prisons don't have beds and mattresses. You're oh. only given a straw mat to lie down on. Yeah, So that was quite uncomfortable for me because... Because I have a skinny ass, right? So so, so that man by backside was, was aching for like <laughs> the first three nights. But then after that, you get used to it, right? Yeah. So then from the like fourth night onwards, I think I could, yeah, I, I got used to it. I could sleep properly already. Yeah.
0: So, uh, well, okay. Okay. So, so help, help <laughs> us build a mental picture, right? So what I'm seeing is like a room poured concrete. Um, is there a
1: window? Yes, there is a window, but it's covered by like a, a, a wire mesh. Okay. Yeah. So you can't really see outside though. A little bit, a little bit of daylight comes okay. in. Yeah. And it's a four by two meter uh, uh, size cell. Right. Yeah. The four by two meter is enough for you to, to move around. And then um, at the back is the toilet and the shower. So the toilet and the shower is together. Yeah, it's okay. a squat toilet. Okay. Yeah. And oh yes, I did a lot of cleaning when I was in the cell also. Yeah, I mean we we clean the cell so much. because there's nothing else to do. So you just but do you have cleaning products? Yes. So you have like um, rags that you can use, yeah, and soap, yeah. Okay. So then you just do a lot of cleaning. I mean, it was so, the cell is so clean you could eat off the floor.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you are expected <laughs> to clean your own cell. Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. Okay. And then this uh this uh toilet, bathing, wash area, is it in any way partitioned from the rest of the cell or is it just open?
1: Uh it's partitioned. So there's okay. what they call a modesty wall. Modesty yeah, wall. That's, yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh so that's at one corner in the back. Mm. And then the front, is it like the old-timey sort of bars or is it more of a oh, door no, with no, no. a slit that, in it? Or? Yeah,
1: yeah. That's a very stereotypical yeah. image of prison, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are bars and then you see people grasping at the bar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. not like that. It's, okay. it's just a door. Yeah, okay. it's it's a door with a window but that window will, can only be opened by people outside. So which right. means if the prison guards decide to open it, then you get to see outside. But if not, you are literally just, you can't see anything beyond the four walls of the cell. Yeah. And there's no ventilation then. There is some ventilation, but it's not that great. Yeah. Okay. So there's a little vent at the top of the door. Yeah. And you can feel a bit of wind coming in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So most inmates just sit around the cell, um, shirtless. Yeah. So you just Makes sit sense. around. So you're just staring at each other's tits, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's all.
0: <laughs> okay. So so apart from that. Uh, Wash area, the, the bath area at the back, yeah. uh, the bathroom area. Uh, the, there's no other furniture, just like three mats that you. Yeah, so you are just given three straw mats and two blankets. So one two blanket,
1: blankets. yeah, one blanket you use as a pillow. So I will use the oh, books, two blankets each. Two blankets each. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So I will use the books that have been given as my pillow, and then okay. the extra sets of clothing I will use to cushion my bum.
0: Oh, wait, so you you have you can uh, bring in books, but I remember one of the things you said after your first time was that they never gave you the books that you brought in. Yeah, so these other books, where do they come from? Yeah, so um they're actually from the prison library. So okay. you can
1: request oh okay. Yeah, so um at first, I was given books which were very religious, and Such I was, as? um like Joseph Prince's Musings. Yeah, so there was a book on Joseph Prince and then there was uh, Tuesdays with Maury. Okay. Yeah, and then there was a a Chinese one that said, uh, 别买院多十件, which is, you know, don't complain so much, do more, you know. Yeah, so, so they had a lot of these kinds of books and then I rejected all of them. I told the prison guard, I'm returning all these to you. Can I have more books on fiction and history? And he was actually nice enough to like actually search out those books for me and he gave them for me to read so uh, so they were quite nice to me i mean of course that's my experience and and i I suppose they are nice to me because they're aware of the kind of case you know uh, why i'm inside and also because my offense is minor yeah but i think those with more serious offenses the conditions that they experience are a lot more inhumane right yeah
0: yeah right okay um and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, I just want to ask about meals and whether you, you mentioned exercise. Does that take place all in the cell or do you get out to have meals and exercise? Right. Okay. So because it is COVID-19,
1: yeah. so the prisons have um, stopped all yard time. Yeah. So all inmates are entitled to a one hour yard time. Um, and this is time for you to get out of the cell, get some exercise, um, move around in Other places apart from your cell, yeah, so all that was denied because they were afraid of that the outbreak that there will be an outbreak in prison. Yeah. so I made a lot of noise about that actually, mm-hmm. because it's no joke to be locked up in a cell for two whole weeks. Mm-hmm. yeah so, so, so that only happens for two weeks because that is the period in which the virus is set is to um, manifest itself, right? yeah so, so a, a, any new inmate that enters prison will have to be confined in a cell for two weeks. So, but I never finished my two-week term, of course, because my sentences were seven days and 10 days, respectively. So, um, yeah, so but I, made, I made a lot of noise about that. I said, it's, it, isn't it possible to stagger the yard time yeah, so that those who have, um, so that inmates who, have, who don't have the virus and inmates that might have the virus don't mix? Yeah, I mean, they're 24 hours in a day. And there's nothing for us to do. Right, that's true. Yeah. yeah, so why can't you stagger it? Administratively, I think it would have been more troublesome. Yeah. But I think that's something that they, I mean, they can't say because it's troublesome. So that's why we we won't do it, right? Because um, the mental health of all inmates is important. Yeah. yeah, I mean, prison is a punishment, but it shouldn't be degrading and inhumane. Yeah. It should not lead to a deterioration of your mental health. Yeah, otherwise it goes against you know, the principles of rehabilitation, restore and renew, you know, which the prisons and the yellow ribbon campaign likes to talk about. Yeah. So um but these appeals of course fell on deaf ears. Yeah. Um uh, I had also written a letter to the commercial prisons to ask for yard time for for new newly arrived inmates, but that letter also went unanswered.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay, there's some really interesting things here. Um First of all, you know why? Why do you think um, it's? It sounds like they talk. There's a certain rhetoric about rehabilitative uh, prison system. Uh, you know, rehabilitative prison system, right? When we talk about justice, uh, from my limited understanding, there's a sort of spectrum between retributive justice and, and rehabilitative justice. And studies have shown that rehabilitative justice is actually more effective at pre- preventing... Uh, again, I mean, well, you know, I'm not an expert on this, but my understanding is rehabilitative justice is, is more effective at pre- preventing people from from uh, committing crimes again and keeping people out of prison. Um, but we seem to have a, a justice system that, on the one hand... Uh, rhetorically talks about rehabilitation, but from everything you're describing uh, and everything I've heard focuses more on retribution. Yes, that's right. So that seems to be the approach
1: to justice. Rhetorically, like you said, right, they will say, oh, we believe in rehabilitation. But in, in reality, that, that isn't the experience of many inmates. I spoke to one inmate who was um, convicted of um, robbery and violence. And he was put... And, and he was um, sentenced to seven years and 12 strokes of the cane. And the caning aside, which is, um, which is an atrocity and it's very barbaric, but that aside, um, throughout the seven years, he was kept alone in a cell and had only one hour of yard time every day. So you can imagine being just locked up in the cell all by yourself for seven years of your life. With only one hour to socialize and interact with others, how is this? Um, how how does this help in rehabilitation? Yeah,
0: so yeah, solitary confinement. I thought. I mean, if you see any movie, I mean, as, as far, I have no idea whether movies accurate, mm. but solitary confinement is something you, you know, that is worse than normal prison that you impose on um, prisoners who are misbehaving or something mm. because it's 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 so much more degrading. You know, I mean. As, as we have found out in this COVID crisis, right, being alone in a room um, for and unable to go anywhere and alone is actually extremely mentally torturing. Uh, and so, but th- this person was just committed robbery and violence and that was his that's day-to-day a day life. life. Yeah, that's his
1: day-to-day life. I don't, I don't know how this helps in rehabilitating yeah. someone. Because you, you're ba- when, you, when you dehumanize someone in, in such a way, how does that actually help that person develop and grow and, and turn over a new leaf? Right. So, um, but that seems to be the overriding approach, which is that um, the, the, these kinds of conditions are supposed to deter you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but if you look at prison systems in a lot of other places around the world, yeah um with very low crime rates, they don't treat their inmates in this way, yeah so that link between um, um dehumanizing someone and low crime rates is actually very tenuous. yeah I don't think the evidence for that is strong, hmm. yeah, just by looking at a lot of how other countries um, um run their prison system and and this guy also that I spoke to told me that um he was punished uh For getting involved in a fight with someone, and he was put in a punishment cell, and a punishment cell is um, what you mentioned. Um, It's it's like a a solitary confinement. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was already in in solitary confinement, you know, in his normal cell, yeah. But in but for this one, it was even worse because he didn't even have that one hour of yard time, yeah. And he said that throughout his time in that punishment cell, the lights were on. Oh, yeah. So he he never got to experience darkness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the only way he could sleep was to put a t-shirt or piece of cloth over his eyes. Yeah. So oh. for three months in that cell. Three months? Yes, he was, he was in, in the punishment cell all by himself for three months. Wow.
0: Okay. Oh golly. Three, I, three months with no darkness. I, I can't imagine that. I mean, that is, that's just scary. Mm. Uh. Wow. Okay. Um, what, so are there other, you know, what you described in, in prison, are, there's no opportunities to say, like what you, you might see in other places, well, take classes, learn a skill you know, learn something different, prepare yourself for a different life when you come out. It sounds like based on what you can There see, are. Oh, there are? There are. So, okay.
1: so you can take classes. And I think and and the people that I talk to tell me that they take classes not because they are really interested in them, but it's just they would just want an opportunity to get out of the cell. Right. Yeah. So some people pretend to be religious, right? So that they can go for the religious classes. Um, and um, there are also opportunities to work. Yeah. But the wait list is very long. So someone I spoke to said he had to wait a couple of years before he was allowed to work. Are they paid for this work? Yes, they're paid for this work. And what I understand is that you get $1 a day. $1 a day? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> These are all yeah. accounts
0: from inmates, yeah. Yeah? Okay. so I, I can't. I, I, I'm not yeah, able course. to corroborate all this. Yeah, so
1: you don't get puffed <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But the, the 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 problem again with Singapore, right? In general, mm. is that there are all sorts of things going on, and we just don't have the information. That's right. So
1: the lack of yeah. transparency yeah. and accountability. I was trying to find out more about prisoners' rights. There's a prisons act. Yeah, but everything is so minimal and vaguely worded that it doesn't really give you any much insight into the kinds of rights that
0: prisoners have. Mm. Yeah. And I guess, the, I mean, this is always, you know, around the world, advocating for the human rights of prisoners is always tricky because there's mm. people are going to feel like, well, these people commit the crimes and, mm. you know, they deserve to be in there and they deserve to uh, suffer, yeah. right? The common Singaporean response is, what do you expect? It's prison, what? You think about Holiday Chalet,
1: is it? <laughs> right? So that's a very common kind of response. It's like, you deserve it. Yeah. So I think one of the big challenges and obstacles to prison reform is also changing people's mindsets about what prisons should be like. Yeah. And I think the best way to, if we want to advocate for prison reform, or even abolition of prisons for that matter, I think we have to make that connection between rehabilitation and, and, and prison conditions itself. Mm. Yeah. So people have to see that there is a benefit to society for prisons to be reformed.
0: Yeah. And I think also people need to understand not everyone in in who goes to prison is some sort of hardcore, unrepentant criminal. Right? That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, starting with yourself, right? But mm. there's plenty of other people. Like uh, there's a lot of correlation between um, you know, uh, running afoul of the law and social class. Mm. You know uh, And there's a lot of uh, issues that exist within our broader society about a lack of opportunities for people of certain classes, certain races, uh, and the kind of um, challenges that they face, right? And I think uh, there are some statistics which are, which are very clear. The, for example, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the majority of people in for drug offenses are Malay, mm. right? The then the is the, the question then is well which way is the causation mm. right? A, we see a correlation, but which way which way is the is the causation, and how do we address that systematically and in terms of our society rather than simply sending a lot of a lot more Malay people in, to jail for drug offences? Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the correlation between um, um, uh, poverty and. And, 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 and imprisonment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very clear. So, if we can do more to address the inequality and the poverty in our society, then we'll def- we can definitely reduce um, the, the number of such convictions and the recidivism rates and all that. Yeah, so, so in that sense, it's a much more structural issue. Mm. Yeah.
0: And I think also to touch on something else you said about uh, deterrence, the fact that I think most people don't know what goes on in prison does that make it more of a deterrence to people or or less? In the sense of if you knew how incredibly uh, dehumanizing the prison experience was, right, now that I'm sitting here listening to you and learning about things that I didn't know happened, would I then be more afraid of prison or would it demystify it? And I, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but there seems to be a a, lack, a complete lack of transparency and awareness about what goes on um, after someone gets sentenced to jail, mm. and so that I'm very glad we're having this conversation because at least you know some people learn uh, and, and I'm learning about it now, but I have to wonder, um, you know, are we working at uh, is the whole system working at cross purposes in the sense of people actually don't realize how uh, bad things are. And on the one hand, this means that people don't uh, push for reform uh, and because there's no understanding. But on the other hand, it also doesn't really deter. You get you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So um, I guess for me, the bigger issue, it's
1: um, accountability. Mm. Yeah, so because so much of what happens in prisons is shrouded in secrecy. Yeah, and then um, the government says, "Trust us. We, I mean, we and they always we, yeah. everything. We we, we know what to do, right?" Yeah. yeah. So I I've heard of stories of like inmates being assaulted, for example, by prison guards. Of course, I cannot corroborate right. these things, um, but it has happened, and um, and also the punishment system within the prisons is also very arbitrary, right? So if you commit an offense in the prison. Um, you won't have access to any legal representation. There's oh, right. no due process. So um, I, I know of someone who was um, caned in prison for committing an offence inside prison itself. Yeah. And the entire process um, is, does not have the same rigor that, um, you, that everyone else has in the judicial system. Right? So it's as if the prison system has its own justice system and process. Yeah, which wow. isn't rigorous at all because wow, yeah, everything's decided dangerous. by them yeah so there's no independent body that oversees how justice is meted out within prison itself when um, when inmates commit offenses and um, I mean in in theory there's supposed to be like the um, the justice of the peace you know all these people who are supposed to come in and and check on the inmates welfare yeah but in reality at least from what I hear from those that I've spoken to, They've never met any of these people. yeah. And if there are any issues that they want to raise, they can only raise to the prison guards. Yeah. And of course, the prison guards will protect themselves and, and protect their own institution.
0: Right? Yes, yes. I mean, there's a lot of data about that sort of thing around the world. Mm. Um, and so if you were a prisoner and you wanted to file a complaint, there's you just complain to the prison guard. That's, That's right, yeah. You, you don't get to like put anything in writing? Or you I'm I'm not too sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not too sure, but at least from my conversations
1: with the inmates who have who were disciplined inside. Yeah. Their experience has been that everything is done through the prison guards.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. And wait, just just to clarify, uh I missed this earlier. Mealtimes, are they in your cell or in a common Oh it's in the cell. Okay. So you there's
1: no common area. Yeah. Oh, okay. So meals are all consumed in the cell, and they are given to you um, through this little um, hole, yeah, yeah, um, at the bottom of the door. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. So you're you're literally like, you know, given food like pigs in a pen, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just food that's just pushed at you.
0: Um, and and the people who've managed to work, did you speak to anyone who managed to work? Um, y- not extensively.
1: Yeah, um, I did speak to someone who did some work before. um, And that's how I know that, you know, they are paid a dollar a day. Yeah, because that was what he was paid, he said.
0: So what I'm curious about is who who is profiting here? Because clearly $1 a day is not a fair wage. That's right. So who is he or she working for? Who are they working for? And is is someone making an illegal profit, right? right? which which then if you th- you know this is a point that has been raised in other systems where inmates work for a pittance that that is actually legalized slavery mm. and uh and it's a it's a huge huge issue cuz you're being punished for a crime but you're not it doesn't mean that you lose the right to a fair wage right right yeah so do you do you have any I don't um I mean the one that this guy I spoke
1: to I w- I'm he didn't tell me exactly what kind of work he was doing, though I suspect it was work that's commissioned by the prisons itself, like you know, delivering meals, um, doing the laundry, or, or cooking, preparing meals. So I, I, I suspect that was the kind of work that he was doing that got him a dollar a day. But I know that there are private companies out there who will contract prison inmates to do things like call center. So if you call really? Starhub, or SingTel or or any kind of company that provides a service and has a has an operator, it's possible that the person who picked up the phone is an inmate. Yeah. But I'm not sure how much they are being paid. But I suspect it's going to be below market rate. Yeah. Because we know from other instances and other practices that these companies often pay exploitative wages, right? Slave yeah. wages yeah. to 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 these kinds of workers. Uh, one example I can give is like, for example, SIA, right? SIA used to have this sheltered workshop where they would um, give, allow inmates, not, not inmates, like those who were intellectually disabled, they would give them uh, the job of sealing their headphones. Right. Yeah. So I think there was a point, there was a time when they were only paid like a hundred or two hundred dollars a month and it was termed as an allowance, yeah, right. so it's not a wage. Yeah. So so the way they frame it is to say that this is vocational training. Yeah. So you should be grateful that this company has decided to give you training.
0: Yeah. Training to do what? <laughs> to seal to just yes, do something yes. a machine could yeah. do
1: really. So 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 I so, so this is one example that I can cite that I'm aware of. Right. Um, so I'm pretty sure that the 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 exploitative practice would be similar in the prisons. Yeah. I doubt
0: they would be Paid market rates mm. for for the jobs that they are doing, and this is this is part of our whole broader approach, right? That our government has instituted since the the eighties, where you know, I mean, the word is getting tired, but neoliberal approach, where your what you're paid is directly connected to your value as a human being, mm. and it works both ways, right? If you if you feel like uh you know if you argue that oh well, I'm gonna pay someone so little because i can get away with it mm. right um and their their value then is is so much less um the other way is you think about it as well their, their value as a human being they're being dehumanized um because they're a prisoner or because they're disabled then i can get away with paying them so much less it's it's so it's a sort of uh two-way street of of um, both dehumanizing people and not paying them a fair wage—that has driven us into this incredibly exploitative global economy that exists today. Mm. You know, and yeah, it's just—I I think we, you know, this is this is a topic that um, we've been over before, and it's widely recognized. But it's just so frustrating to hear examples of of this where either you you get a, a, a low wage and therefore you're dehumanized or you're dehumanized and therefore you get a low wage right, and right. you know how do we build a society that respects human dignity when we treat the least of us right cuz it's not we're not even talking prisoners now we're talking disabled people yeah, you know yeah and you you exploiting them as well
1: because you can right yes so, and I think what's missing here is that, I mean, these conversations, a lot of these conversations are happening globally, yeah. Yeah, but they're not really happening locally in Singapore. Right? So yeah. even if they are, it's probably among like a, a very educated elite group. Yeah? So, so, so how, how do we like mainstream these kinds of issues and conversations?
0: Well, part, uh, of, part of the problem is, is you know, mm-hmm. is simply that we can't talk about these things. There's no sufficient data Mm-hmm. They're, they're, you know, a lot of these conversations are suppressed, which brings us back to the main topic, right? The fact that you, just because you tried to have a conversation about peaceful ways of resisting the government, mm-hmm. right? Civil disobedience, mm-hmm. they send you to jail. Yeah. So, you know, you have a peaceful conversation, very rational, very calm, mm-hmm. right? Uh, carefully controlled and they send you to jail. How are we supposed to have honest conversations about <laughs> uh, uh, a far more controversial topics like right. prison reform? Right. You right. know, and, mm. you know, how we treat our, the, the least among us. Mm. We mm. can't. Mm. So this is what's so frustrating and this is why it ends up being conversation, just people like us who know how to navigate the system and have mm. far less to fear. Mm. You know, and this is what's so frustrating. and And then, of course, then the conversation becomes, oh, well, you know, it's, or, or, or some people will say it's because people with who are less uh, educated can't uh, don't have the capacity of these issues, which is nonsense, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. It is it is nonsense. People yeah. who experience these issues intimately on a daily basis are the best people yes. to understand it. Yes, right, and, and they want to talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But they can't because they have so much more to lose in some ways, and yes. um, you know. And so we end up shutting off ourselves also from people who can talk about these things, or um, yeah, we just end up talking among ourselves. It becomes very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, anyway, mini rant over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so you're trying to do something about this. You've started mm. a website. Yes, I've
1: started a website. Um, it. I started it because. As someone who was going into prison, I wasn't I, I I needed information. I wanted to know what was happening inside so I wouldn't get a culture shock. Yeah. And to prepare myself mentally also. And I found that information was was scarce. And I had to like dig into like Reddit and Hardware Zone and Semi Boy threads. You know, really? in order to get, of all places. Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay. Those were the only places where you know some people would share their personal experiences yeah. about being an inmate. Yeah. Right. So Makes so sense. so that gave me this idea to start this website, yeah. That you know, because uh, a lot of people don't know. Like there was this when I when I went in the first time, there was this guy who didn't know that there were no beds in prisons. Yeah. Yeah. So he thought that there would at the very least be a mattress, and yeah. then he was aghast when he found out that it was only a thin straw mat. You know. Yeah. So so I think we need. So, so there is, a, I, I believe, a huge demand for a website like this for people to know what um, prison conditions are like. So, so I'm creating this website so that um, people can prepare themselves, mentally prepare themselves when they go in. I'm also trying to get more information about caning and I managed to speak to someone who was cane 12 strokes. So I'll be updating the website soon to talk about that, what the whole procedure and the process is like. Um, and I'm also interested in improving um, prison conditions yeah, because I think I mean what prison I mean the denial of liberty is the purpose of prison. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the punishment. Yeah. It shouldn't be to degrade you further and yeah. treat you in an inhumane way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that aspect needs to change. And I'm interested in, in looking at prison reform um, in, in that way. Yeah, and this website is prisonlife.sg. Yes, it's called prisonlife.sg. Yeah, and I'm also collecting stories mm-hmm. um, of people's experiences inside. Yeah. So anyone you know, who's listening to this, if you have been in prison before, if you know someone who's been convicted, yeah, feel free to get in touch with me. Um, I'd like to be able to document your experience and it will all be anonymous yeah so you don't have to worry about your
0: identity being disclosed right and there's contact information on prisonlife.org yes, you can is. go there and get in touch with me. yes
1: there. so I've actually through that website I've already spoken to about seven or eight people
0: mm. yeah okay, and um, you you also wrote uh, a letter to the Commission of Prisons mm. about the conditions, right that was a, specifically what you were talking earlier about the COVID situation and Mm -hmm. staggering, Mm -hmm. right, and are you planning to do, you know, to, do you have any further plans beyond documenting? Have you thought about what you want to, how you want to campaign for Um, prison reform? I think
1: at the, at the moment, what's important is to get information and data. Okay. Yeah. So because there's so little information, there's so little transparency. So I think um, our calls for reform would be better if, I can get as many stories and accounts from inmates as possible. Okay. Yeah, and also to look at the research yeah. out there on prisons in other places around the world. Yeah, I mean, I'm not aware of anyone doing um, prison reform work in Singapore. So it's really a very new f- new, new, field. It's also very new for me. I mean, right. my whole life I've done mostly like work on migrant workers. Yeah. So, um, so but I'm interested in, in looking at the criminal justice system. Yeah, so prisons is also one aspect. I'm also interested in looking at um, um, police procedures, right. uh, how the police conduct themselves. Yeah, I mean, right. there, there is this right. myth that you know, our, 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 our boys in blue are beyond reproach, mm. yeah, which is not true. No, no, yeah, of everyone's human. That's right. So when you, when you talk to like, um, vulnerable populations, especially, yeah, um, police abuse happens there. Yeah, but all that is swept under the carpet. Yeah, so I think we need to document more of these kinds of stories right. and get more data on these kinds of things. Things.
0: Okay. And when, when you were sentenced to jail, was there any information given to you at all? You know, were you just taken straight to jail pretty much and then put through the system or, or was there, I mean, I, I suppose it's too much to ask that you were handed some sort of pamphlet pamphlet that says what to know now that you're going to jail.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so everything. Yeah. So I, I didn't know anything or what was going to happen. Um, they did ask me if I was gay. Yeah, what's, what's So, what's that? Their business?
0: I suppose
1: maybe they think that if you are put in a cell, you know, with men, and you are gay, you might sexually assault them, or they might sexually assault you. So maybe for them, they're looking at it from okay. a security point of view. I don't know. Yeah, but they, they they asked me that question, yeah, whether I was gay or straight, and huh. very funnily enough, I mean, the guy who asked me, um, I think I was probably the only person who came out to him, um, the only inmate that came out to him because when I said that I was, yeah. he looked at me um, with this shocked look uh, and his eyes were like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it looked like they were going to pop out. <laughs> yeah. and, and there was silence actually for like two seconds. Uh, and then he gave me the tablet because he was actually asking me a lot of questions Yeah, like uh, what are your dietary preferences what is your race blah 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 etc so when it came to the sexuality question he was shocked when I said I was gay so then all that time he was he was ticking yeah. the, the options on the tablet but when it came to the sexuality question he refused to take it so he passed me the tablet and said oh, why don't you just put there yourself that you are gay so I was like okay <laughs> so um yeah, Okay. And, and then I was yeah. asked that, that question the second time when I was at Changi. Yeah, because the first time I was asked, I was in Riman. Second right. time it was at Changi. But this time the question was a little bit more professional. Yeah. So they didn't ask whether I was gay or straight. They just asked, have you had sex with men recently? Yeah, so I was, um, my answer was no. Yeah. Define uh, no, recently. I'm sorry, my, answer, yeah. my answer actually was yes. Yeah um but in reality it's no because i'm a born again virgin right so um, <laughs> okay. it's been a while <laughs> so but I, yeah. I wanted to also find out what would happen if you sit if, if someone says that yes they've had sex with men recently uh-huh. yeah what would happen yeah and then what happened nothing actually though uh, when i was questioned on the second because on the, on, the, on the second day i had a welfare interview yeah. So he. So the guard said to me. So you declared yourself gay, huh? I said, "Yes. Um, is that a problem?" He said, "Oh no, no, of course not." And he just left it as that. Yeah. So. So yeah. So I don't think my disclosure led to anything. But again, okay. I see myself as a more ex- as an extraordinary case because um, the reasons I, I'm going in is political. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if. The treatment would have been different for someone who was gay and was committing any like a normal
0: uh, right. offense. Yeah. But it sounds like, based on what you said, no one bothers. No, no one declares himself gay. They just yes, it I seems suspect so no rare. one does because it's yeah. uh, it's very
1: rare, and I think um, people are afraid of the consequences of, yeah. of declaration. Yeah. So I was probably the only person in a long, long time who did that. Yeah. Yeah. Huh.
0: Okay, so you, you actually, you mentioned a welfare interview. So are there any other sort of, uh, what's the right word? Um, concessions? I don't know if that's the right word. I'm not but sure. You see, the welfare interview. The welfare of prisoners, how is that taken care of in prison? Right. Yeah. Um,
1: I had that welfare interview the first time I went in, and I was the only person who had it in my cell.
0: Really, the others? So you asked the others, and they said no. So the other two didn't. Oh, okay. Didn't
1: get that interview. Yeah. So again, that's why I feel that maybe because of the nature of my case, yeah, um, they were treating me a little bit more differently.
0: Yeah. Well, you see, the fact that they can do that, right? Because. If you're saying we have a professional prison, every prisoner should be treated equally and there are Mm. certain standards, Mm. then either everyone gets a welfare interview or no one gets a welfare interview. Why is it you get a welfare interview and they don't get a welfare interview? Right. So I don't know. Maybe after I was released, they got their welfare interviews. I mean, I
1: can't confirm it, right? Yeah. But it was quite unusual that I had that welfare interview on the second day of my sentence. And how long had the other two been in there?
0: They came in the same day as me. Okay, okay. but they didn't get this interview. And this was your first time, or you? This was my first time. First time. So you're there seven days, and by the end of seven days, neither of your other two, the people sharing yourself, had gotten a welfare interview. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And what's the purpose? You were told it's a welfare interview. Yeah, because he,
1: he, he told me, oh, you know, we just want to check on you, how things are. We want to check on your welfare. Like, so they asked me things like, how's the food, and I said, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also only the second day. So Yeah, that's right. And did you sleep well last night? And, <laughs> you know. So they asked me stupid questions. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um so I said, well, I would sleep better if you gave me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so and then he just smiled. And, I mean it was it was a routine kind of questioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they just had to show that they ticked the box. Mm. Yeah. So I think that was the purpose of the interview. In the event that, you know, I they are questioned maybe by international groups or media. I
0: don't know. Yeah. Mm, right, right. So it's I saw possible. it as
1: a cover backside exercise. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Because historically, political prisoners do get questions directed um, from outside, directed to the government or prisons, mm. uh, from international NGOs. Yes. Amnesty raised your case as well. Yeah. 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 So they, uh, and Amnesty, of course, encouraged people to write letters. Mm, in. Mm, yeah. Mm. So they probably were checking those boxes. Mm. Mm. Okay, um, in terms of prison reform, right? Mm. Do you think what is the most obvious thing you need? Do you think needs to be done?
1: Right. I think we need to look at um, agreed international standards that have been agreed upon. So the United Nations actually has a minimum standards for the treatment of prisoners. Yeah. So I think we need to review the whole system in light of those principles that have been set out. Yeah. I think that's the first step. Yeah. And, and also, very importantly, ask prisoners themselves and ex inmates mm, yes, right? yes. what are your experiences like? Yeah, And get them to give recommendations and suggestions. I, I doubt um, the Singapore government does this.
0: Yeah, I, I don't. I, I would seriously doubt oh, that too. Yes, yeah. Seriously,
1: uh, yes. Yeah. I, I would say they don't do this at all. I mean,
0: uh, yeah. Right. You, you've got a bunch of cases, more cases pending. Mm. Do you think if, if you get... Convicted and fined again for your other cases. Do you plan to go back to prison? Yes, yes. Um, that's the plan. Yeah, and like, have you thought about like how you'd prepare? Is there anything you want to, uh, do before you go in? Or you know, uh, I guess it's two separate things. One is, uh, if if someone else was sent to prison, what would you recommend they do apart from reading through your website, of course. Mm. Um, and the second is. Are there things you're going to try and find out the next time you end up inside, you know, what, what, or what you're most curious about or what you could try and gonna try. And it's quite yeah. random,
1: actually. I mean, yeah. um, like when I went in the second time, I wasn't expecting that I would speak to someone who was convicted for seven years and sentenced to 12 strokes of the cane. And I also spoke to someone who experienced prison life in detention barracks. Yeah, which is different mm-hmm. from Changi Prison. Well, that's the army. You mean, that's the army yes, one. Army, yeah. Yeah, and I hear that the conditions there are worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I managed to make friends with these these people. Yeah. So a lot of it is very, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't go in with like a set plan, so to speak. Yeah. So I look at the environment. I I see what's happening. And then from there, I, I make the most of it. Yeah. So, um, the two cellmates that I was incarcerated with the last time, um, we are planning to meet. We're going to have a reunion. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. This so is the, the Chinese national. Yeah, and, and-, and, the, and the local guy who was um, convicted of a sexual offense. Right. So, we're planning to meet, have a reunion, and to talk up. And he, they're going to update me about what happens after 14 days. When, okay. Yeah. After the after the COVID okay. um, isolation period, so the
0: Chinese national was six weeks, and the other chap was, was eight weeks. Eight, eight yeah. weeks. Okay. Yeah.
1: So they are aware of this website that I'm doing, yeah. and I've asked them to contribute to it. Yeah. yeah. So they said they're happy to do that. Yeah. So I'm hoping to find more supporters of the cause. You know, right. through um, through my stints inside. Yeah,
0: yeah this, this sounds fascinating, if you mm. can uh, tell their stories and especially about their experiences with the system, I think a lot of people are very, very interested and mm. will really help us understand, you know, our system and what we can um, change or reform or improve. Yes, yeah. already I'm getting like um,
1: questions from students and people who want to know what's happening inside, but can't get any information. Yeah, so I'm actually arranging to meet up with some of them to talk about it. Yeah. Awesome.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much, Jolvin, for taking time out from your weekend to come here. Yes, thank you for having me. And uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, Good luck for your website, uh, for, you know, your pending cases. Uh, And again, for all of you who want to get in touch with Jolyvon, go to prisonlife.sg. There's contact information there. Send him questions. Send him Uh, stories, send him information. Um, But yeah, I think this is a really important issue that we definitely need to know a lot more about. So I'm really glad you're doing this. Mm -hmm. So thank you.
1: Yeah, thank you for your support.
0: And that was Jolavan one. Our thanks to him. You can learn more about prison life and get in touch with Jolavan at prisonlife.sg. Be sure to tune in next week for our regular episode of Southeast Asia Dispatches, bringing you news, interviews and commentary from around Southeast Asia. This is PJ Thumb wishing all of you a great week ahead.